I tell you what, it's a it's a brand new thing for me. I'm used to having my guest uh, for Our Town in the studio with me, but you know, with the social distancing and uh, and all the uh, the uh, executive orders that have come down and uh, are doing, we're we're doing our part to make sure that everybody stays safe and save lives. On the phone with me now, or via Skype, is Aaron Reynolds, City Manager, and Joe Henry, our city's mayor. Good morning to you both. Good morning, George. It's uh, as you say, it's great to be learning some new technology here. I like this <laughs> Skype. So, so uh, yeah, good morning, George. Good Thanks morning for hosting us. So let's start. Um, if you don't mind, let's start on a, on a personal nature. What have each of you had to do differently? Um, not necessarily in work related, but in, in family and stuff related. Aaron, what, what have you found yourself doing differently in these last couple of weeks? Well, first of all, uh, I am along with everyone else transitioning to understanding what stay at home to save lives means. And of course, that's only been in effect for a little over a week at the time of this recording. And before that, we were all doing the things personally and professionally to transition uh, to have a less contact physically with the outside world in our work life and personal lives. So personally, I now have a child that was in seventh grade going to school every day now at home and uh, learning and adjusting to his school schedule, keeping him physically active and engaged Uh, while I have now started also working remotely from home and then also a college-age student who is also all online now and uh, able to be at home with us again when she had just moved out, you know, six (laughs) months prior. (laughs) And uh, a husband whose work is lessening due to the emergency and, um, also planning to bring a new child into the world. So we've had a lot of changes personally. And while at the same time, working some of the longest, hardest, most overwhelming days in the last several weeks, as we've been uh, gearing up and planning and preparing for what this new era looks like. Now, Mayor Henry, obviously uh, you don't have the... um now, I wouldn't. I don't want to say difficulties because I'm sure Aaron wouldn't look at it that way. But you don't have the responsibilities have having kids coming home, right? You're uh, you're no, you're in a little bit none different. None of those. It's uh, just Pam and I here uh, finding a uh, a lot about our relationship that we really like, and uh, it's kind of just like a a little honeymoon here. We're hanging around, doing some exercise, playing cards watching movies, doing our Bible studies. So it's just uh, a whole different life. All of my commitments for the next at least foreseeable future have pretty much been canceled in terms of meetings, speeches, other things that I do as mayor. Uh, in my other life, I'm in the mortgage business, and uh, that has taken some uh, very interesting twists just in the last few weeks. And I'm afraid it's going to get much worse. Um Despite the fact that the Fed's lowered the interest rate to technically zero, mortgage rates have taken a healthy increase to where it's taking some people out of the market. I'm afraid it's going to affect our local housing market. So that's been a challenge. Things are slowing down uh, in all aspects of that business. Uh, So it takes more hours to do the same thing. But overall, we're keeping a positive. I'm very 
heartbroken about hap what's happening in our community in terms of our local residents, our businesses, um, and I think that we all are going to have to do our part to do everything we can do for our community. So as city officials now, what have you learned about this that you can translate into information to the general public? I mean, as far as, you know, you still have to go to the grocery store, you still have to do certain things. What as city officials have you learned that you can share with us? Aaron, you want to go first? Sure. Thank you for helping us guide this conversation and not talk over each other. So the very, very first thing I'd say is lots and lots of new technology or maybe even technology that I was somewhat comfortable with and learning how to bring it to maybe my professional life and then help teach and guide others as well. So technology, and I just really encourage people out there, if you haven't had a chance to explore maybe some social media platforms, well, I know a lot of times we give that a, a lot of bad, um, uh, give it a bad reputation for social media it has proven very beneficial to get timely uh, updates out and in good soundbite forms. You just have to, as always, just like if you were taking it from the radio or internet website, uh, take it from reliable and reputable sources. So um, I know we sound like a broken record, but it's really important to make sure when you get information that you're either getting it from a, a trusted source like you know, the radio or the newspaper who are also taking it from CDC, OHA, um, whether it's the governor's office or Lane County's Emergency Operations Center or from the city of Florence's COVID page. We just really encourage people to check there for first and become informed and educated. Uh, this is an individual by individual battle. Uh, that's another thing I've really learned. It's super important that each one of us uh, realizes we play a role. And I think Mayor Henry will probably talk about that a little bit more. And um, and then from there, just realize we're just a part of a big system in this. This is not just a Florence or Lane County specific disaster. Um, I started talking about it like it's in terms of a family. So as a family goes, you have your great grandparents, which is the federal government you have your grandparents, which is the state. You have the parents, which is Lane County. And then you have the child, who is us, Florence, or whatever your local city is. And we all have a role to play. And um, sometimes that's doing the work on the ground, and sometimes that's just following the orders. And, um, and then the other aspect of this is this isn't a, a truly limited to a physical disaster. Uh, this is a public health crisis in which Lane County and the state of Oregon are the lead. And then it's also an economic crisis, a social crisis. And again, we all play varying roles in, in our family as we uh, work together uh, to fight this battle. Now, Mayor, I'm sure you'd want to echo a lot of those sentiments, but too, but add your own little spin on this, on how, how what is, as a city official, what you've learned that you would like to share with the public regarding this? I think I've learned that, uh, that despite this shutdown and, and staying at home, that we as a city government can still go a long way toward providing the essential services and putting people together with the resources that they 
need to have and continuing to communicate the message that uh, despite, I, I know it seems like this is very difficult uh, at times, but I think it's a small price to pay uh, considering the devastation that could occur if something similar to New York City happened here in our community. So uh, I think it's imperative that all residents stay home now, regardless of the areas where, where tests are positive. Uh, we shouldn't just be waiting uh, until there's a positive case here in town to prepare. Yeah, that's a good idea. I, I think it's, I was going to say, I think it's, it's uh, our media, is, especially our radio station, is doing a great job of communicating out and, and getting the word out. Our staff has worked countless hours uh, with our emergency response uh, group to get them coordinated. So I think that many resources. I think our, despite what you hear, I think our federal government is doing a good job. I think our state government is doing a good job. I'm really disappointed in the wrangling and fighting that goes on at all levels between the, uh, and the varying different opinions about that. I think we're all in this together as a team. And I think that many, many resources are being committed we just have to, to follow the guidelines, stay home, keep that virus from spreading. And uh, I think that's really what I've learned out of this is that we're going to get through this and we can carry on even though we are confined and doing a lot of things just as we're doing right now electronically. Now, Aaron, you had meant, well, the, the mayor just mentioned, talked about resources. And uh, one of the things, you know, uh, we call ourselves a city in motion and we have to stay in motion even during these times when you know we're shut in and for me the worst part is the social aspect more than anything else but even so the city has to keep operating tell me a little bit about city services and what's happening with them so first of all i know we normally traditionally think of essential services as food and police and ambulance and fire and that sort of thing which of course as a city we do operate the florence police department as well as the jail and our 911 dispatch. So of course those are in operation, but every single aspect of our organization supports our critical services for utilities uh, and planning and building. And uh, all of us are still working. We're either remote, working remotely, working modified shifts uh, to keep that social distancing or uh, working our normal shifts, as in police and dispatch, because that is a show that must go on 24 seven. So every single bit of our operation has been looked at and evaluated over the last several weeks. And of course it's still evolving on what that looks like to provide as many services as possible virtually. So we're doing what we're doing. I normally come into your office and talk on the radio in the, in the recording room. And now I'm in my home office doing it by Skype. Uh, and you just take that same example times a million on every other aspect of what we do, and that's what we're doing. One thing I really wanted to highlight is even though City Hall and all of our facilities are closed physically to the public, we're still very much open virtually. Uh, so, of course, the website ci.florence.or.us is going to be a great portal to contacting us if you don't already have our email or phone numbers. Uh, we are checking voicemails, so we're just encouraging people to leave a voicemail if you need to call in to city services, and uh, you will get a response that way. 
Uh, and then really wanted to highlight our planning and building department. One of the important aspects of the governor's orders was uh, to keep Oregon moving as much as possible during this time and realizing that we went into this crisis with uh, needing more housing and we need to keep building going. And so right now our building department is open. Again, it's all electronic, whether it's online or over the phone. And um, I'm just really proud of our staff for meeting all the required timelines for inspections and getting permits closed out. Uh, but everything's being done if it's being done physically with that social distancing of six feet or greater. And uh, I'm just proud of that effort happening. And then on another note, uh, we'll talk probably a little bit more in, a, in, another seg in, in another second about how we're doing public meetings and uh, some ideas we have around coming around our business community during this crisis and as we recover. Well, I'm going to back up a little bit and go back because a, a little personal testimony is here is you know, I'm remodeling this house in Old Town and I needed some inspections done to get my final inspections done. And, you know, called, made the call, set the appointment. They came out, got it all done. And so, you know, I mean, things can still go. And that's the one thing I think that, you know, when everything's going right, you know, I think when you go, when you think of essential services, when everything, for me, when everything's going right, I think of food. That's my essential services. I don't worry about the I don't worry about the police and the fire and all that because it's kind of like it's kind of like you know they're there, but now at this time you know you know that you really have to depend on them uh, were something to happen like this. Uh, Mayor, um, certainly you understand that, right? Well, you mentioned one of your concerns. I think you said food. Yeah, that's that's my that's my main concern. Well, kind of in response to that. I have heard, and I know Aaron has heard from a few, some of our community members about concerns over supplies at grocery stores. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to understand that this is not unique to Florence, and it's an experience across the country and all over the world. Um, we've reached out to our local grocery stores for additional information, and they tell us they're working to restock shelves, but the issue is that warehouses are having difficulty keeping up with the increased demand. Uh, panic shopping has increased demand way beyond what's necessary on a regular basis, and uh, that's basically created the need to limit certain items per shopper, which I, I feel we should have done early on in this crisis. Right. So, you know, how can the public help? Uh, don't panic. We're going to get through this. Don't hoard buy more than you need and hoard this stuff. Um, all of our community members need access to these items. I would encourage our grocery stores to impose limits per person on the things that we're having trouble stocking. Everything but wine. Um, as part of, well, just one other thing. As part of uh, a response to this, some of these requests, uh, Fred Meyer and Safeway are going to offer uh, special hours for seniors and other high-risk populations. And they are Safeway. Tuesday and Thursday from 7 to 9, and Fred Meyer, Monday to Thursday from 7 to 8 a.m., by the way. 
Mm. And that, that's a, that's I think a, that's something that we've provided to our community as a response. Yeah, I think that's a great thing. And, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people who believe in preparing for disasters, and, and they're real good at doing it when there's not a situation like this. I think this might be a lesson for other folks, you know, is to if you want a few extra things, if you want to feel a little safer, stock up when it's not an emergency time. Another aspect of this emergency is obviously, again, it's not localized to Florence. And it's also going on much longer uh, than a normal physical disaster takes. Uh, and so this is a very prolonged uh, marathon we have entered, as many are calling it. And so lessons we've learned early on in these first several weeks of the initial shock and panic, I hope uh, will be learned and we can put into place some better practices so along those lines of grocery stores, a couple of things it makes me start to think about and want to talk about is the PP&E, which is the personal protective equipment. And so along with the governor's orders uh, came um, a very strict demand that certain supplies that, of course, are our daily supplies on a normal basis, be left for those um, uh, first responders in healthcare and on the streets. And, and so there are going to just be some things that you're just not going to see in the stores like hand sanitizer. If they're there, it's going to be very rare uh, because that needs to go uh, to the, to the first responders, just like the masks, the gowns, the gloves. And so there's been a call out for donations uh, that we have shared on our social media, our website, and has been broadcasted on media for donations. And um, I just really encourage people uh, to take a look at what they have in their business that's not operating right now or in their homes. And if there's something you can do to provide, uh, we will graciously accept those donations on behalf of the Florence and the greater West Lane community. And uh, that, that's happening at Public Works, the City of Florence Public Works building uh, on Kingwood Street. And you actually enter from the 27th Street entrance in the back warehouse area, and somebody will come out and help you. Yeah, and that's from, what, 10 till 2 daily, Monday through Friday? Correct. Okay. All right. Uh, quickly, uh, to wrap up here, is there anything else that you guys want to touch on? Aaron, I know you'll be on in a little bit with Chief Schick and Chief Tom Turner, so we'll do more of, of that kind of information in a little bit. But anything on a, on a level for the residents there you might want to touch on, Mayor Henry? Anything real quick? Well, I would just encourage, even though it's difficult, and to stay home and stay healthy. Uh, it's okay to go out and go for a walk in your neighborhood, but it's not okay to go to the beach and congregate. Uh, staying far away as you can from people is very important. I just want to reiterate that importance. Uh, try to stay informed through our local official sources and remain the caring and compassionate community that I know that we are. And I, again, ask God to bless the Florence community. All right. Aaron, how about you? Anything? Any last uh, comments before we move on? If you need to get in touch with us at the City of Florence, we are here. It just may be delayed, and it may be in a different manner than you're used to. But we thank our community for their patience as we walk this journey through this crisis with you. And I look forward to coming out on the other side of this whenever that is. 
please stay safe, be healthy, try to be active. And a huge thank you again to our, our city leaders, our elected officials, healthcare providers, and just all the other heroes that are out there on the front lines. Uh, know you are seen, know you are appreciated, and we're doing everything we can as a city and as individuals uh, to play our part in this crisis. So thank you, everyone. And I know if we can be patient, we will be stronger on the other side. I appreciate you both being here. City Manager Aaron Reynolds, Mayor Joe Henry, and uh, Aaron, we'll talk with you and the Chiefs in just a little bit. Thank you. Thank you, George. Next on Our Town, Ron Green, President and CEO of Oregon Pacific Bank, will talk the CARES Act and how if you have a business, you can benefit. Joining me now on our special edition, I call this special edition of Our Town because it seems like everything is COVID-19 related. And that's a good thing because we're getting information out. Well, some of the information that needs to get out is how we are going to remain financially stable uh, during all this. And the new CARES Act that was implemented uh, this past Friday, signed into law by uh, President Trump, is going to positively affect even our community and ron green is joining me uh, right now from social distancing uh good morning ron hello george good to be with you so let's talk a little bit about this now uh, i think most people know by now that the um the irs is going to be sending out money to taxpayers let's quickly deal with the potential for scamming let's get that out first yeah, absolutely. Well, certainly, the, you know, the IRS is determining based on your most recent filed tax return what you're eligible to receive, and and under certain income thresholds, we'll receive a check. The IRS has your information, so if you in the past have filed your tax returns and either paid your your tax payment or received your tax refund via direct deposit, they already have your account number. If they've sent you a check, they already have your address. It's already becoming a thing right now that people are calling consumers representing themselves as individuals from either the Treasury Department or the IRS saying, hey, I need your personal information so we can get you your money. They will not do that. They already have it. And please don't fall victim to that scam. Exactly. Now, if they're at my front door saying, hey, I got a wad of cash for you, that's a different thing altogether. <laughs> well, maybe a different story, George. Maybe a different yes, story. Yeah. Yes, yes. All right. Yeah. So let's talk yeah. about yeah. some of the things available. I know that employers, from, from what I've heard, employers are kind of liking this package so far. Tell me a little bit about how this is going to affect them. You bet. Well, under the, the CARES Act, the stimulus package that was signed into law, as you mentioned before, uh, there is an unprecedented uh, partnership between the U.S. Treasury Department and the Small Business Administration. And basically what they're allowing banks to do, and this is any bank that's authorized to make an SBA loan, uh, to make a loan to a small business owner. Uh, they're going to ask for very li limited information. The b business owner can, can borrow up to 2.5 times their average monthly payroll and payroll benefits expense uh, prior to the COVID event. So if you had a payroll cost, let's just pick a number of $100,000 a month, you could borrow $250,000. The incentivizing behind this is that they want you to reinvest that money to make sure that your personnel, your, your people are still on the payroll, keep them paid, pay their benefits. And at the end of this, then you can go back and they'll say, how much of that money did you actually reinvest into ensuring that your people got paid? And there'll be a calculation to determine that that amount of the loan may be forgiven. You won't have to pay it back. 
And again, there's going to be qualifiers, so I don't want to tell you whether you won't or will be receiving debt forgiveness. But if you borrow money to keep your people on board, to pay your rent as agreed, uh, most of that expense will qualify for the debt forgiveness piece. So um, our bank is an example. We're rolling out and and going to be accepting applications on, and it's called the Paychecks Protection Program. We're going to begin accepting applications on April 2nd. Uh, We're still not quite uh, sure how the SBA wants us to process this. So essentially, we're we're expecting a tidal wave of small businesses to apply. We already have about 50 people in the community of Florence who've asked about it. And then so then we'll start and we'll see how quickly we can get the money out. All right. So let me ask you this here. Now, uh, you know, a lot of businesses, because of the social distancing order and that, have had to close. Is this something a business that is currently closed can use to continue to pay their employees? Or do they have to be open and operating? Yeah, it is. You know, it's it, that's the odd thing is that they want obviously to bring your employees back, but if we're under our stay-in-place orders by the, the governor, which we currently are, in a restaurant as an example, well, they can't bring their people physically back, but they can keep them on the payroll and keep them paid. So the the concern I have personally is that does you know this event isn't going to be over in 90 days. Uh, they we may have the virus under control, but getting consumers back to where they're comfortable spending money and getting back to normal is going to take some time. Um, so, yes, the, that's the idea is to, to pay your employees, whether they're working or not, that's up to you and, and whatever the social distancing guidelines will allow you to do. Uh, but if you do that, then you would be likely eligible for the debt forgiveness. But you talk about getting back to normal, say, in 90 days. Well, isn't that part of the the reason for doing this is so that people still continue to have money in their pockets so that when this is over, they are a little bit more comfortable spending some of that money? Well, absolutely. That's the hope. Um, you know, and I want to be as positive as the next person as to how quickly the, you know, the U.S. and our local economy can come out of this. But in Florence, our economy is basically tourism driven. And I still have the question, though, even though the money may be there, how comfortable psychologically are people, you know, coming back, doing the things around, you know, a crowd of people that they were doing before? When will that happen? Um, you know, they're talking uh, nationally about um, the next wave of the COVID virus and, and the next season. And does this become an annual thing? And so I, I still feel there'll be, a little, there'll be a little bit of consumer fear. But th- that's, the, that's the hope with this program is by keeping people uh, employed and paid that once we are absolutely certain that the virus contagion is behind us that they can resume their life of paying their bills, spending money, and stimulating the economy. All right, let me ask you a question from a perspective that I, I've been hit three times already. Someone's asked me this. It seems like uh, the government or the Federal Reserve is just printing money. Where is all this money coming from if we're, if we're in this crunch already? Well, I mean, the Federal Reserve creates money by selling U.S. Treasury bonds. And and so, you know, they are continuing to issue new treasury instruments uh, for cash. Uh, but certainly you're, you're right. I mean, the, the supply and demand of currency going back to before currency even existed and was the gold standard is literally what's available. And, you know, temporarily the dollar gets devalued when literally the federal government creates more debt and prints more cash. But it is a form of stimulus. Um, you know, it is kind of that monetary policy that the Federal Reserve has to kind of do things to stimulate the government. But, you know, it does have long term 
potential concerns, but I think right now I am very supportive of what the federal government is doing, both through this this stimulus package and at the Federal Reserve, to invest in the long term, you know, sustainability of our economy. But I know uh, essentially the, the the U.S. government and the federal and the U.S. economy is going to go into debt. But I think we have no choice. Right. And I noticed one thing that for a moment, the stimulus had a positive impact, but then new coronavirus numbers come out and it sort of has a negative effect on like the market and stuff like that. Do you yeah. feel like we're going to see this uh, roller coaster for quite some time now? Well, I gosh, I, I'm going to say that we should all look towards the medical professionals and the scientists on that. Uh, but, you know, looking at what I'm, all of us are hearing in the media, so that's all that I'm repeating, George, is that this is a virus and viruses, uh, we can build up immunity either through herd immunity or through some formal um, vaccine, but they also can mutate. And, and so, you know, there is a high likelihood, it sounds like, that there could either be the potential of this virus, just like the cold and flu, you know, making its annual cycle around the globe um and it's just can we keep up with that and develop of course uh vaccines to keep most of us healthy well and hopefully that hopefully that won't be the case hopefully this will be like some of the other ones we've had in recent years and it'll just die out with the season as far as banking goes though you had mentioned before we had talked before about how that after 2008 a lot of the banks or many of the banks have positioned themselves differently so that they are able to withstand a situation like this and even help the community. And, and I guess that is what Oregon Pacific Bank has positioned themselves to do if I'm, if I'm not correct, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the 2008, the Great Recession was a very difficult time on the banking community across the country. And, you know, in Oregon alone, there were six banks that failed. And during the 08 recession, literally became insolvent. Uh, no depositors lost their money. That was because of the formation of, you know, almost 100 years ago of the Federal Depository Insurance Corporation. But depositors were protected, but banks couldn't make it. And that was largely because they had themselves highly concentrated into one or two loan types and generally loans that were paid from the sale of or development of real estate. Well, we knew what happened back then because of how much uh, inventory was in the market, how much speculation was going on in the market. We saw, depends on where you lived, anywhere from a 40 to 60% decline in real estate values. And when a bank makes a loan that its sole source of repayment is the sale of that property and it loses more than half of its value, now, that bank's loan becomes of have no value and they have to write it off. So that's what precipitated the bank's problems then. Since then, banks have uh, are much more capitalized than we were entering the last recession. Our loan uh, portfolios, are, uh, I'm speaking globally of the entire industry, much more diverse than you know than they were back then. So we have more baskets and we have eggs in many baskets. Um, and I'd like to believe, I know it is in our organization, that underwriting standards um, are solid. Um, you know, banks are conservative lenders, or at least they should be, because we're not lending our money. We're lending your money, the depositor's money. So we need to be, you know, appropriate and making sure we're structuring loans that, that have a, a valuable source of repayment through some sort of viable plan. Um, so that's been, I think, much stronger since the Great Recession. So generally, our bank included in this, but the banking industry, whether it be national, banks to the small local banks like us are 
much stronger than they were in 08, uh, much more diversification in their investment, their lending, and uh, strong policies and practices. All right. So quickly, what other what other good things are, are you seeing in the CARES Act other than uh, this benefit for uh, businesses? Are there other things there that, that make you excited? Yeah. Well, again, going back to the, the Great Recession of 08, the Federal Depository Insurance uh, Corporation created a temporary program, which was called TAG, Transaction Account Guarantee. And the FDIC issues depository insurance up to a certain threshold, and that's $250,000. Um, but it's based on ownership, meaning, you know, George, if you had 250 in a bank, you would have a level of insurance in your name. If your wife had 250 in her name, then she has separate insurance of 250. So there's 500 right there. If the two of you combined, that's an additional 250. So that's 750 in coverage. Well, back in the 08 recession, they created this tag, transaction account guarantee, that gave unlimited depository insurance for a period of time. So the CARES Act gave the authority to the FDIC to reinstitute that program. Uh, so we have not heard any details as to when and this will come out, but we're expecting the FDIC to announce that um, because there is concern, you know, and I think a lot of people don't understand how D the FDIC works and they think about Honestly, it's a wonderful life. <laughs> and the fact that banks fail and banks can fail, but to put to put, to put to, uh, excuse me, to put the the depositor at, at comfort, the FDIC has stepped in to protect them. So we've had some clients that are concerned about just banking and the economy and, and are very doomsday from their perspective who want to pull out large sums of cash. And we caution people against that. You know, if we can't talk them out of it, we'll, we'll get their cash for them. But if you keep it under your mattress, you keep it in your safe, you keep it in a can in your backyard, it's not insured. Uh, and you are you put yourself at risk of being a victim of scam or, or theft or robbery. Um, so I'm hoping that the FDIC comes out with this unlimited guarantee of depository insurance. I think that will be the the security blanket that they, the, the, the depositors need to, to feel comfortable that, okay, we're going to get through this just like we did you know, 12 years ago. Well, let's hope that this uh, runs its course quickly. Consumer confidence returns to a, a nice high and, uh, and we see um, everybody kind of get back to normal soon. Yeah, I, I think just a couple of closing things I would say, George, is in, in all banks, again, I know that I appreciate the opportunity to be here and speak on behalf of Oregon Pacific Bank. But if you have a loan with any financial institution, credit union, bank of any kind, and you're struggling to make those payments because of the events that we're in, please call them. They will work with you. Every bank will work with you. If you can't make your, your house loan, your car loan, your business loan, none of, of, of us want to see anybody fail, want to see any business fail. Um, so it's in our best interest to work with you and, and every bank will do that uh secondly there's tremendous amount of anxiety going on around you know our community and around the country and around the world you know we're going to get through this and please take the opportunity to take a breath you know think rational and, and positive thoughts and be kind to everybody yeah it's a tough time and we're going to get through this together but we've got to be mindful of how we react to the situation and how we treat each other well, you know, and that's an important part of it. I was writing something earlier today talking about how the mantra after 9-11 was never forget. And, yeah. and we had a period of time, hours, days, weeks, and even months afterwards, where we found compassion, consensus, and love for one another. But at some point, we went back to the backbiting and all that stuff. And it's situations like this that brings us to the forefront. So my, my encouragement to everybody is, is not to never forget, but to always remember 
how we treated each other during these times and continue this past, yeah. you know, any foreseeable future. There's no better advice than that. So thank you. Ron, thank you so much for sharing. And, uh, you know, it's so good to have the local presence uh, of, of a bank. I know we have other banks in town and other banks that are community-minded in that, but it's nice to have a, a central hub and someone we can talk to to get information from on a regular basis, and we do appreciate that. Thank you so much. Absolutely, George. Thanks for having me. What's happening with Sayus Law Schools during the COVID-19 outbreak? We'll talk with Andy Grizz, Koyak, Superintendent of Sayus Law Schools, next. Joining me now in the studio, which is rare, most people uh, most people try to avoid going out, but Andy Grizkowiak, Superintendent of Saisaw Schools, is with me here now on our uh, April edition of Our Town. I can't believe it's April already. Andy, how have things been going um, as far as uh, preparations and planning at the school? Right now, uh, we're actually in a pretty good shape. We got out supplemental education packets before spring break. And we have our second wave ready to go out, which is good because that helps us with kind of where we are in terms of state guidance, which came out late last night, which says get ready for distance learning. Um, So we'll be continuing, you know, somewhere in mid-April with a regular schedule. But we've got to make sure kids have the skills and the practice to pick up for when we get there. And and when you say that, this brings me before we went on the air, I was talking to you about my stepson who's like, well, this this says it doesn't count toward my grade, but explain how it really does count toward the grade. Well, everything you do in education a lot of times is practice. For again, the final presentation, the final paper, the final test, whatever it is. Okay, and so the supplemental work we're doing now is a bridge to get kids to a point where when we get back into some sort of more functional graded learn structured learning that they're ready to go and they're not behind. We're going to have to do some remediation, but again, the practice you do along the way is what keeps your skills up so that you're not playing catch up at the end. Again, like I said before, you know, doesn't matter if it's sports or music or whatever, you practice for the event. You don't pick up a guitar and just step on stage and play before 30,000 people. Well, at least not you don't do it well if you well, do. Well, you don't do it well. You get left <laughs> off the stage. Yeah. But this gives you a chance to practice to be better to get to the stage. What's been good is that uh, my wife has been telling her son, okay, you know, you want an hour of screen time? I want four pages of this done, you know, and completed. So it's not like, you know, even though he, do- he didn't, doesn't see it as a graded thing, he's like, okay, well, if I want to have my fun time, I have to do my schoolwork. Right. So Well, and that's part of the reason we sent out the supplemental education packets early is – Kids needed something to do rather than just screen time. Right. And parents needed something for kids to do so they weren't entertaining or having to nag them all the time mm-hmm. to do something productive. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because like even even the idea, the students know that, well, wait a minute, this was spring break last week. So, you know, I should have had my spring break time. But in reality, they're still because they're not having the week before or the week after the teacher time. They need to be working and training their brains to move forward. Right. Because you're not, the kids aren't in school six hours a day, five days a week. So, yes, you don't have that reinforced contact time. So, the idea of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is kind of irrelevant. It's today, tomorrow, and the next day. Um, nobody had spring break. Yeah. That's there really the was went. no spring break. Right. Yeah. So, tell me about, uh, tell me about how it's been going with the feedings and getting, 
getting folks their food. I know that uh, in conjunction, I think you're working also with Backpack for Kids or, or they are supporting right. in some right. way or another. So our food service, we are distributing meals Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Monday, Wednesday, we're delivering four meals in each bag, so a breakfast and a lunch for two days. Friday um, has a little bit more in it as a supplement. Um, and so yesterday's total, we dropped about 1,200 meals. Now, logistically, how is this, how is this working? Well, uh, we have a very dedicated crew of food service staff. They come in, they get things uh, prepared, packaged up, ready to go. And then we have a group of other volunteers. It's a mix of teachers and classified staff that come in, uh, grab bags for a bus route, set them up on the bus. Bus drivers come, take them to a couple stops, bring them back, drop them off. We're, we're distributing off the, in essence, the uh, exit, emergency exits of the buses. We see somebody coming up, say how many bags you need. They say four. We put four on the back deck, take a step back, let them pick up the bags and go. So we're trying to be as cognizant of social distancing as possible. Are, are, the, are the parents the main ones picking up the bags? No, it's the, a mix. Students, we do yeah. have quite a few parents that come to pick up for their entire family. Uh, but w- most of what we see are kids. So, yeah, and we do have a couple of uh, kind of special sub routes that we're running because um, there are spots where the bus can't get to real easily. And um, we've got some kids that are, you know, with a grandparent that's homebound and can't get out. And so we're making individual deliveries that way. Yeah, now, you mentioned cool. Food Backpack for Kids. Uh, they wanted to continue with their service. Um, it's a primarily senior volunteer group, so them doing distribution is probably not a good idea right now right, with health right. concerns. Yeah. And so we have um, uh, a staff member and uh, their spouse that are going out on Thursdays in the school van, picking those up and making all sixty-five stops. Yeah, because that's a different that's a different group of kids. It's a different right? group, yeah. But again, it's one that we kind of you know we've taken on over the years and uh, trying to support that program. And so, um, you know, sending a couple people out in a in the school in the school van to make another delivery on Thursdays is it's okay. Do you obviously you know we don't have a crystal ball in this, but do you do you see us getting back to school at all this year? I mean, hope well, hopefully yeah. yes, but I mean, hopefully, realistically, yes. realistically, I would say June first is the earliest, um, just because we've got the new ideas for coming from the state for distance learning for all, and really we're supposed to have a plan up and ready to go by April thirteenth. And so, so they wouldn't do that if they were planning on starting right. May 1st, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. So there's, there, again, they're kind of a sl- slow rollout of pieces. There's a couple of things that we did um, just kind of anticipating this. Um, we're, again, like the dual credit teachers at the high school have already decided they're going to go forward and offer the dual level college credit classes regardless. Because, um, again, the original, the early guidance was looking more like there was going to be. The, the school year being cut short a bit. Well, now that's changed, and um, we're, we're staged and ready to go for that. It's just a matter of now getting some of the logistic pieces, um, especially if we're going to get into grading for credit and content, how to get material out and get it back. Now, graduation, of course, is also coming up too. So that would be, of course, that would likely be in June as well then, right? Most likely, yes. Um, if there is a, a ceremony Right. At all. Well, again, we are trying to find a way to do a, let's call it a, a, a virus-sensitive 
ceremony. Uh, this year's class of kids deserves a graduation ceremony. It's obviously not going to be the one that they had envisioned. Right. Um, but once we get our additional guidance on how credit for this seniors group will, will play out, um, that'll give us a good idea of uh, how to go forward. Yeah, because I guess that's, you know, the kids are wondering. I, I've already heard from a couple kids, you know, like, well, we're not going to have a prom. We're not going to have graduation. I know that's a concern, you know, because it's a, it's a big deal. You know? It is, absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, there's probably nothing we can do about the prom. That's usually the end of April. Mm-hmm. Um, but graduation is one thing that we can we can probably focus on and get done. It may not be done June, you know, June right. 5th when it was originally scheduled, Uh but the kids deserve something. Well, and if and if, as we hope, everything clears up in the month of May, right? You know, then we can be back to well, quote normal, but in a in a extended calendar, right? Yeah. yeah, they'll they'll need to be some extension of the calendar to help kids meet their needs, uh, and we kind of work this from both ends towards the middle. Obviously, trying to take care of seniors and high school kids first, making sure elementary kids are on track for development, and then making sure that you have the kids in the middle have all their needs met so they can move to the next grade or advance from middle school to high school. Now, when something like this happens, uh, you know, an extreme condition or extreme circumstance, um, a lot of times changes are made that people look back and go, well, that was a good change. And I know that some people – mostly parents don't or students don't, but there are some people out there that would like to see maybe a year-round school year, whereas you have a break here that would be a couple weeks long, and then you go back to it. Is that anything that anybody's brought up to your knowledge at this point? No, we haven't really. That hasn't been an issue at the any of our state-level discussions about year-round school year. Um, I mean, right now we know that we're probably adding back at least a week to the regular calendar to make up for what we lost before spring break. And kids had supplemental packets from before spring break and that cover the week after spring break. So I don't think we're losing out on a whole lot there, but we're still going to have to meet some, have some time to do some individual tailoring for kids to be able to finish up the year properly. So have those regulations been eased about have to have so many days in school and all that? Or no, not, they have not. It has, so it hasn't been like no. not yet or it probably won't be? Has not been Haven't yet. Been yet. Has not been yet. Um, you know, the last time we had a, a major, you know, uh, set of ice storms that kind of locked up the state, um, there's, uh, there's a standard on, um, you know, uh, time required for – for the school year, and that was that was waived and alleviated during those years. Okay. So I'd imagine something could some, something like that's probably coming. Um, but again, you're still going to need more time than we currently have. And again, we're trying to get this all up and running and retooled by April 13th. Now, how does the dropping of standardized testing requirements uh, work into the or play into the schedule? That really um, is not is not an issue for us. Um, we were spending roughly about three weeks in state testing per grade level. Um, so this actually gives our teachers more time to focus on doing instructional pieces. And um, those tests at the high school level um, were, were, in essence, an exit exam for graduation. We're the only state that required, you know, an essential learning skill for graduation. Um, so without doing those, it's going to be based upon your credit course completion work. 
So, so just to kind of summarize, April 13th is when you expect to have a, a, a learning distance learning plan in place? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, actually, we'll probably have it rolled out a little bit before that. That's when the state wants it. Uh, we kind of we're kind of gearing towards that anyways. Um, the trick is really how do you meet the needs of kids that don't have good digital access? Um, during that first week um, of closure, you know, our staff called every single household that we had a number for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 50 to 60% of our kids have a computer and have internet access. We had another 20% or so that if we gave them a device like a Chromebook, which we've been passing out to kids, they could have access. And then we've got people that live so remotely that about 15% just don't have internet access. So we've got to come up with a hard copy paper version that's an equivalent that'll get those kids to the same spot. And again, I, I guess uh, Carrie Tatum put a notice out a couple of weeks ago that, that like places like Charter and that are providing internet free of charge for a certain period while this is going on. I'm not sure how that stems out, but yeah, I don't, even so yeah. some parents still don't want it. Right. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And so again, so we're still going to have to have that hard copy alternative for those people. Yeah. Okay. Well, Hey, thanks for the update. No Appreciate problem. it. And, uh, you know, stay safe out there. You do. Right. I'll make sure I'm six feet away exactly. next time we talk. All right. Take care. Next hour, back to social distancing as we talk with the Chiefs of the Incident Command. That will be Chief Tom Turner and Chief Michael Schick and Aaron Reynolds again on. Joining me now via teleconferencing are the heads of the Incident Command for uh, WeLog. It's sort of the new thing we're having to do now, as you saw part of the last hour due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Joining me is Aaron Reynolds, City Manager, Chief Michael Schick with uh, a West Lane. Help me out, Chief. Well, you can just say fire department. Fire department. Okay. Yeah, there you go. And uh, Chief Tom Turner with the police department. I think Western Lane Fire and EMS is what I was trying to trying to get out there. And Tom, that's true. And Tom Turner is is with me as well. So good morning to all of you. And good morning. This is morning. a this is a new environment for us. <laughs> this is a new paradigm. Hopefully, it's just a, a short period of time that we'll have to deal with this. But let's uh, start with Chief Schick. Chief, what kind of uh, different things have you have you had to do differently um, as far as responding fire, responding EMS uh, in this environment, the COVID-19 environment? Well, initially, of course, it's protecting our responders. So, I mean, we have dispatch has been interviewing people to call 911. If they do have COVID-like symptoms, you know, we have to have our people prepared to respond into that type of environment. So we're wearing a lot of gowns and masks and goggles. And then um, just making sure that our people are safe. And uh, and then down the road, we're, we're thinking about what happens if, you know, we have some of our personnel get sick. And, and we hope that doesn't happen, but I think we have to prepare for that. So we're ready to uh, start moving people around to different ships if we have to, to even them out. Um, just today, we've started 24-7 staffing with career firefighters. Uh, normally, we have career firefighters on Monday through Friday just during the daytime hours, and then we rely on volunteers. But we're anticipating that you know we may have some personnel that are sick and can't respond. So uh, we want to make sure that we can, and so we have 24-7 staffing now. So those are those are big changes for us, but uh, everybody's been coming up with some great ideas. And, and number one, I think it is just to keep our people safe. 
Chief Turner, how about community policing? How how has that changed? I, I've seen a couple of things like on Facebook where a guy gets stopped and he puts a sign in his window, you know, just saying, I have COVID-19, try to ward off a ticket. But how, how has that changed in this environment? We have a visible patrol, but we're doing very limited interaction. So if it's necessary, of course. But most of the time, what we're trying to do is uh, keep that space between the people we're talking to and the officers, uh, just like Chief Schick talked about, keeping our employees as safe as possible. We do have some kind of lore information that's out there that is just simply not true. We can talk about that in detail here in a minute. The main part is visibility as opposed to interaction. And that's what it comes down to is we're trying to limit that personal contact. We've set up safety corridors at the Justice Center so a person comes in and out the same way so they can disinfect and try to keep anything out of the building and keep them as clean as possible. Obviously, our cars all have safety equipment and personal protective equipment in them that we'll utilize as we need on any given call. We're just trying to keep as clean and safe as possible. It's really a disruptive time for people. A lot of people are very nervous, and the interactions we try to spend a lot of time explaining what's going on and what we're trying to do as we deal with the call, because it's a little bit different, obviously, than uh, day-to-day calls. Now, Aaron, as far as the incident command goes and, and WeLog's responsibility, you guys are, are meeting quite often, are you not? How, how, are you, um, how are you disseminating information to the different groups there? To talk about the Westlane Emergency Operations Group just a little bit, uh, you see representatives from both the fire and EMS with Chief Michael Schick and from the Florence Police Department, from Chief Tom Turner, and then, of course, you're hearing from me as city manager, and we represent uh, the four main operations uh, of WeLog, but we also have partners with the city of Dune City, the Port of Sayusla, and the Mapleton Fire Department, Peace Health, Peace Harbor, the Confederated Tribes of the Kusla or Umpqua, Sayusla Indians Police Department, and then we have many other associates and of course have been coordinating in this crisis because every every emergency is driven by what the crisis uh, demands. And for us right now, it immediately started with the schools and knowing that the school children were going to be out of school for some time and helping support and lift up the Sayusa School District and the Mapleton School District. And then obviously through all of that, it's been triggered by a public health crisis. So we've also been working with Lane County Public Health the Oregon Health Authority, and then, of course, the federal government as they prepare for this uh, virus as it spreads across the country. And so we've been meeting since 2007. We have an intergovernmental agreement, but for this crisis, we've been meeting since the beginning of March specifically. We first started weekly just in a monitoring stage and then uh, officially stood up the Emergency Operations Center on March 20th. And uh, the two chiefs that you're talking to here today were instrumental in showing the need and the urgency to get an emergency operations center up and running uh, before I think a lot of people were realizing the severity of the issue, at least here locally. Uh, So they are much to be thanked for that. Uh, The emergency operations center is currently uh, meeting virtually because, again, this is a very unique crisis for us. And usually you're able to say, uh, here's the people impacted, let's keep them safe. And then there's others who are not impacted by whatever the disaster is. And they can all meet physically and talk and respond and 
uh, all sorts of responders come in from all over the place, but we're all in this together and we're all uh, at risk of getting this virus. So uh, we are meeting virtually, just like we're having this interview with you, George, virtually. We're meeting virtually as an EOC with all of our partners. Uh, there's many moving parts. Uh, we're using an electronic platform, uh, just like if you would think about a big whiteboard or a situational board in a in a, a meeting room where you'd see lots of telephones and computers. Uh, that's all happening at our individual desks, over the phone, email, Skype, Zoom, etc. And and so that's where we're at. We're meeting twice a week and talking all the time. All right. Now, Chief, you mentioned uh, some uh, Chief Turner. You mentioned some <laughs> lore a little bit ago. And uh, Wayne and I were talking on the air this morning about how kids in particular just don't seem to get it. And there's even some parents that are like, oh, yeah, your friends can come over. What sort of responsibility is there from the police department? Is there any kind of enforcement that we're doing in that? And then talk a little bit about some of the lore that's out there. Well, on the first part, everything that we're trying to do is education and information. So sometimes people don't have access to that or they haven't made use of it enough. And we can point them to websites. We can point them to different um, avenues where they can get information about what's going on. We have a lot of written material as well that we get from CDC material that we can hand out to people if they want. Mostly, it's all education first. So we're trying to get people educated. We're trying to get this uh, in a very prudent style of, you know, we got to get into this better mode. What I think is really, really obvious is that as the whole world, and particularly the United States, starts to come into this more seriously, I think people are getting the message. They're starting to understand what's going on. We saw less people in Florence over the weekend, as an example, compared to the weekend before. People are starting to understand the magnitude of this and the difficulty that we're facing. And, you know, with that uh, comes responsibility. And we just want people to be responsible. We work on the parent first. We'll work on the kids individually. Uh, and encourage them to do the to do the basic things to protect themselves and mostly protect everyone else as well. I like the new ad system that the governor has put out. Uh, I like the messages on our highways about uh, stay home, stay safe. Those are the kind of things that over time uh, it'll get, I think it'll get more cemented in people's minds. As for the lower pieces, there is a huge information download of what I would call misinformation about people needing work papers and that we're going to stop out-of-state plates and that you had to have all these things in order. And that simply isn't true. We are not anywhere near uh, that sort of enforcement. And we want people to stay safe and be careful. But none of that is true in our area, certainly. And maybe as these quarantines get tighter and tighter, maybe stuff like that will come into play. So what you're saying is we can't stop the Californians from moving up here right now? Is that is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah, nor anyone else. Okay. Uh, it's a very unusual time, but people really took that to heart. And oftentimes people are uh, they're getting stopped for one reason or another, and they present these work papers that they got from somewhere, either their employer or the Internet or whatever it was. And it's like, this is, this is uh, unnecessary. You don't have to right. do that. Or the accusation that... Uh, I'm getting stopped because I'm from out of state. And that isn't true either. Yeah. Uh, that is just not a piece of it. So people need to look at that order carefully. They need to follow the information. Uh, and as of right now, there isn't any magnified or 
focused patrol or response to any of that. We're just trying to keep people safe, keep them where it's necessary. We have not had any uh, uh, large group gatherings, which they've had in some cities. If we had that, we would probably try to deal with that. But again, in a prudent, safe manner, and try to start at the lowest uh, level and then work our way up if we have to. Now, Chief Schick, is there anything on your end that, that you're hearing that's that's not true that uh, you'd like to correct uh, some information you might have heard out in the public? Well, we're hearing a lot that, you know, we have infected individuals in the community. And, you know, that's not true. We're sure that it is going to happen at some point. But, um, you know, the information will be released from either the state or the county. I think people have to look at what they're hearing and what the sources are. And uh, we'll be up front. Of course, you know, the, the government will be up front with, with everybody. We'll tell people if there are infections, if we do have people coming down with COVID. But don't panic at this point and and the information will be there um, and they can be assured of that now i know that um this might be more of a question for a doctor because i I know there are certain hipaa regulations and things that are out there about sharing information and that but what do you do in the case of an infected individual and you need to need to get the word out to people who might have come in contact with them without sharing that information and i might actually answer that question just because we really are trying to enforce in this in this case that this is a public health event and the public health authority is Lane County. And so Lane County Public Health will manage all of that. So you will, as an individual, get tested uh, if it comes to that through a triage system, through your medical provider. That is who is going to determine if and when you're going to get a test. So call, call, call. Please call a medical provider if you're uh, showing symptoms. Do not go in quite yet. Call in. Someone will take care of you. I know we have heard a lot about resources being limited. They are. That is true. But there are resources available to take care of people. And um, they are triaging every instance of care uh, to make sure those who are the most serious are getting what they need uh, and then uh, taken care of accordingly. So call your medical provider. They will determine if you need a test. From there, it all becomes a public health investigation per se. So hopefully we hope for negative neg- negative tests across the board, but there are positives as we know. And that is what Lane County Public Health is announcing on a daily basis. And all that information can be found on the Lane County's COVID-19 page. I really encourage people to watch press conferences. They are hosting them every day, 1030. You can watch them either live on Facebook or they're recorded and they're posted to Lane County's COVID press conference page. There's a button for that. And and so they're managing it. I mean, this is like an investigation. So if you're positive, public health nurse is going to come in and take over of course, this is all done on the phone, and they are going to do a contact investigation. And this is where social distancing and staying at home and limiting your contacts is so important. Because so far, all the positive cases in Lane County have been, I think, relatively simple to investigate. People have stayed home. They've limited their contacts. People are doing a really great job. And so that makes it easier to say, okay, well, I was in contact with this handful of people, and then that nurse does the investigation and tells each person what they need to do according to the regulations at that time. Usually that's a quarantine of some sort. And though if you've been in contact with someone that's positive, you will know, you will be getting a phone call. Okay. Uh, 
And uh, that's how it's going to work. And you were talking about HIPAA. You're right. This is a privacy thing. We're also protecting individuals. There, We know that people do things when they're scared and fearful that they might otherwise regret. So if that's broadly known who the individuals are or if there's too much identifying information shared, you know, we have to protect those people so that they can heal in peace, whether it's at home or in a medical facility. Know that if you really are at risk and you have been in contact with that positive person, you will know. Well, I know that uh, Chief Schick and Chief Turner, you're very familiar with when, like, there's an accident or something, how somebody on Facebook has to go, oh, I know Joe, and Joe is my cousin, and so yeah. things like that we need to keep, you know, keep out of the, the public for the time being. I noticed that uh, the Congressman DeFazio sent out a, a flash yesterday that FEMA was sending PPE, personal protective equipment, into Oregon in a pretty mm-hmm. massive amounts. How are we set here, not just for your entities, but overall? Obviously, we're a rural area, so we probably don't have as much resource as others, but how are we set for personal protective equipment? From the ambulance and, and fireside, we're, we, are, we have adequate supplies right now. Um, who knows how long this this event's going to last? But um, supplies have been coming, and we received some some supplies last week. I know we have orders in, so we don't want to be hoarding. I mean, we don't want more than than what we really can use. So right. we're trying to be very ca- careful in what we order and um, what we're asking to be delivered. So I think right now we're we're doing fine. <laughs> Um, but again, you know, we we look, you know, what's going to happen two weeks from now to make sure that that we're supplied. So. Uh, we're being very careful with our orders, but I think right now, I think at least from fire and, and EMS, we're we're doing very well. And Chief Turner, yeah, you, and, you have some specific <laughs> needs because of the jail and everything. How are you guys set? Right. From the uh, police side, uh, just as fire and just as the city, we have adequate supplies. The thing that we, we're trying to anticipate, of course, where our future is going to be, so we're trying to accumulate more. We've made more orders through the county. That's how the PPE is supplied is through the county system and we make the requests and then the requests get fulfilled. Again, for this point in the pandemic, we've got the adequate supplies. As far as the jail goes, uh, again, hygiene is a big piece. We've been very cautious about the people that we take into custody. uh, And there's a matrix that they go through to decide whether or not to keep them. And primarily we've been, again, cautious about housing, cautious about transport, because all of that can be a very high risk piece. And we have more protective gear for the people working in the correctional facility as opposed to out in patrol. And uh, everything from booties to eyewear to masks. And the thing that we're waiting to see, as we all are, is to see where the masks fall for protective gear. They're certainly protective in some instances. They, they may not be in other instances. And we're waiting to see you know, where that information comes down. Because those are the, that's the thing that we're probably the shortest on is those N95 masks. But at this point, as long as we keep the distance and we are cautious about what we do, we've been able to deal with that. And we do have some. It just depends on how uh, intensive this gets in the near future. Well, now, and Chief Schick, you mentioned the word hoarding. Um, and maybe, Aaron, you want to address this. You know, there's a certain sense there that if, if we had known a situation like this would have arisen, we might have had a a larger stockpile, a little bit more in case of, and for uh, another event that might come up. You're right. Uh, Across the world, everyone certainly is learning a lot. There's a lot to learn. 
what we thought was great supply chain management and logistics and all these cool tricks we had uh, for getting things quickly and not wasting space on storage from groceries to masks. Uh, we're learning a lot. Uh, so we're not in this alone. The state of Oregon, as you said, uh, from the federal government did do that flash alert about supplies arriving. Um, and that's a perfect example of where the rubber hits the road of how the system's working. Uh, we are working within a massive system on all aspects of this crisis, including the personal protective equipment, the masks and other necessary items. So the federal government uh, from the state received a request uh, they fulfilled some of that, and from there, the state is managing that distribution of PP&E across the state to all of the county emergency operation centers. And from the county emergency operation centers, they are working to fulfill the requests that they've received in from healthcare providers and other EOCs like ours, Western Lane, West Lane Emergency Operations Group. So. Um, and then from the ground up, it's also a system. So like I just said, uh, the locals are making requests to their EOC. Their EOC is forwarding it to the county, the county to the state, the state to the Fed, and then all the way back around again. And then lastly, we've heard a ton about masks. And yes, those N95s are in very short supply, again, across the world. Uh, but you can make some face masks, and Peace Health has asked to follow a pattern that's preferred. If you've already made them, we'll still graciously take them. If you're just now thinking about starting to make masks, we ask that you use this preferred pattern. There's a link on our website, and I, I hear there are lots of resources out there for masks, and um, we're just asking if you can make them, please do. And then the last thing you can do is really follow those orders. Stay home. Stay home. <laughs> yeah, stay, stay home, home to save lives. So, uh, you know, best case scenario, this thing kind of stays, in, as far as Florence goes and, and West Lane, it kind of stays where it is now. We don't have any real big influx of, of what's going on. And maybe by some chance we, we do like some of the other coastal counties and don't get a case. That would be a best case scenario. Worst case scenario is it blows up like everything else. But I think that with the people that we've talked into not coming to the coast to spend time when they're trying to get out of yeah. the cities. I think that that's a big has been a big help, has it not, Chief Turner? Oh, absolutely. When we initially had the large influx of people coming here to kind of continue their vacation and spring break activities, uh, that just puts pressure on everyone as far as social distancing, as far as supplies, everything. This effort to keep people home is a much better alternative than moving people into different areas or different communities because it puts the stress on those communities to deal with it. And this is a much more prudent stance to just stay in your home, uh, try to stay healthy, try to keep other people safe, and particularly the first responders that are having to be out there uh, every day regardless, and it keeps them safer as well. So these are all factors that people need to keep in mind uh, and not utilize those things. And eventually this this will end and we can get back to normal. But for right now, this is the best mode to keep this from spreading. Now, Chief Schick, I've been, I've been watching the news uh, in different states and in different cities, and it seems like anywhere there's been a, a shutdown, um, that there have been uh, less need for responders to accidents 
and fire and things like that. Have you noticed any kind of a drop or maybe an increase in calls since this has been a little bit tighter kept? Well, you know, it's interesting. We did see a drop in, in emergency calls probably for about two weeks. And then this past week has been very busy for us. So, again, it's, it's really hard to predict. You know, we would think that, yeah, maybe there'd be fewer 911 calls, and but it, it's going to be in a cycle. And I, I, I suppose once we start having more people with symptoms, it may go up again. Um, but people shouldn't hesitate to call 911 if they do have an emergency. We'll be there. Um, but right now it's been cycling. We did see a decrease, but now it's picked up again. Chief Turner, how about crime as far as that goes, uh, calls and stuff like that? Has that, has that gone down, leveled off? Is it the same? Uh, we still have calls for service. We've seen a little uptick in domestic violence calls, uh, a little bit of reduction in day-to-day calls, um, which is which is really good. But we still have, uh, just as Chief Schick said, uh, you call 911, we'll respond, uh, and we'll decide then and make the best choice of it. So we're trying to prepare for what the inevitabilities might be if this gets more pervasive in our community. And those are the things that are really hard to try and gauge as to where we're going. So far, been slight downtick in activity, uptick in just certain areas. Uh, and again, that's been, uh, that's so hard to predict in just any way. Uh, it hasn't been consistent. It's been intermittently, intermittently, we've had some very busy days. And then we've had some luckily, unfortunately, some re- really slow days. All right. Now, just quickly, I, we, we have to wrap this up. We're running out of time. I don't know. I think we've covered most of it. But, um, you know, certainly you all would like to maybe thank some folks who have been uh, under the gun here lately. Uh, please, uh, Chief Schick, you want to start? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been so impressed with, with all my staff. I mean, we're getting out there, filling in the needs of the emergency needs of our population. So there's been no hesitation on their part. And also, I've been very impressed with, with the leadership in the community. I mean, we're working together, the hospital, the city, fire and EMS. Um, it's, it's been really exciting to see. It's unfortunate times, but, um, you know, I think the philosophy is we're all in this together, so we're going to help each other. So it's been very impressive to see that. WeLog has been, been doing exactly what we expected it would do. Um, helping providing services to to our community and 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 helping everybody succeed in in very tough times. So it's been very impressive to see that going forward. And Chief Turner, how about uh, you thanking some of your folks? Same thing as uh, Chief Schick just mentioned. Our staff here at the police department, I've been so pleased with and so proud of. Uh, no hesitation whatsoever with any issues, and uh, definitely out there to help. That's what they're ready to do. They're ready to, to deal with this however they need to deal with it, and we'll go forward. The dispatch has been another huge part. There's a lot of pressure that's coming in by the phone lines and a lot of stress, and the dispatchers have been wonderful. They have worked through this right now just seamlessly. Everything has worked well. Again, to mirror Chief Schick's mention of WeLog and the EOC and the city as a whole and all the employees there has just been Wonderful. We moved right into this incident command system, which has been in place for incidents, unfortunately, just like this, that we can easily put together the effort, and we've already been trained at this, so this is just adapting it to this new issue. Uh, I also want to thank the community because the community has been really kind to us uh, and has been as helpful as they possibly can, uh, and I, I'm, I'm confident that anytime we 
anytime we ask, they're going to help our stakeholders as well. I've just I couldn't be I couldn't be more pleased with the response. I have not had anybody hesitant ever to assist us at this point. All right. Now, Aaron, you you sort of talked with Joe Henry a little bit earlier um, and and did some. But if there's anybody you left out that you want to do a quick thank you to, please. Oh, yes. Leaving people out is is unfortunately uh, an aspect that happens when almost literally every individual in our community is a hero in their own way. So it would be impossible to name them all. Uh, But one big shout out is to the leadership that is supporting us to step up and uh, fill these extra roles in the WeLog. Uh, we have we all have boards and elected officials uh, that have given us the authority to move into these roles. Uh, that was part of our intergovernmental agreement. But it's one thing to say on a dotted line that you agree to something 15 years ago, and it's a whole nother thing to be doing this in real life. So we have just staunch support from our elected officials, city council, uh, the three boards that Chief Schick reports to, the school district board, the library board, you name it, all the nonprofit boards, they are supporting their employees to go out and fight this battle on the front lines. And so you have to be able to thank them in some shape or form. So this is my thank you uh, to our elected and appointed officials. Uh, secondly, I, I think it's something that when everything goes well, you um, just don't even notice it. But in this case, it's an individual by individual communication bit that is occurring. So uh, all that communication takes a lot of work to put out there and have a synthesized message. Uh, and again, it's not just here locally, but it has to be coordinated Uh, with the county and the state and the federal government. So we have some really great messaging that's been going out. And I cannot underscore enough how important it is that we are taking the precautions we can to slow the spread of this virus and think about every single individual action you're doing. And I thank everybody for doing that in advance. And I've seen it already happening. But just a quick reminder, a big thank you to our grocery stores. Yes, they're essential. Yes, they're allowed to be open, but they are risking their lives to be out there and serving you uh, so that you can be fed. (laughs) And so please just take precautions even when you're going to the store. Try and reduce your trips. Don't hoard, but also uh, supply yourself so that maybe you go once every two weeks instead of every day for that spice or thing that you forgot at the store. Uh, And when you're there, also take care of those around you. Those are your neighbors. Those are your friends. And uh, you do have an active role in protecting their life. So keep some space, keep your cool, be patient and be kind uh, when you are out and about. Just because you are allowed and it's legal to do those things doesn't mean you should leave your manners at the door. And then lastly, uh, thank you to our public works crew uh, they they don't wear uniforms. Uh, they're not very visible, but it is incredibly important that our water system is kept clean and that you have a place to dispose of your waste, whether it's through toilets and then, of course, to our solid waste haulers, to our garbage companies. Thank you guys for all being out there and working on the front lines. Uh, you are appreciated. You are seen. And we are forever grateful for you. All right, Chief uh, Tom Turner, Chief Michael Schicht, City Manager Aaron Reynolds, thank you so much for the information, and uh, we'll just we'll just keep getting it out there. So anything that, anytime something happens, just please feel free to contact us and let us know. 
Thank you, George. Thank you, George. Next up on the April edition of Our Town, Bettina Hannigan. We're going to talk about the canceling of the 2020 Rhododendron Festival. Joining me now, uh, keeping social distancing in mind, Bettina Hannigan, the Florence Area Chamber of Commerce's Executive Director. And uh, news came out, you guys had a meeting on Monday and uh, talked about the Rhododendron Festival. Tell me uh, what transpired. You know, George... This is our 113th Rhododendron Festival, and we have been very concerned about the safety of being able to produce this event with the COVID crisis going on. So we've been kind of keeping our finger on the pulse of this for the last probably four or five weeks. And many other chamber organizations that I'm in touch with went straight out and just canceled all of their events all the way into July. And I just kept saying, and so did our board and Aaron Reynolds at the city. Let's just wait until we see what's happening. So we've been waiting and we've been watching and we've been waiting and we've been watching. And based on what's come down with the state, the feds, the county, what uh, the logistics are with, you know, trying to coordinate 120 people in the parade, you know, 30 businesses in the vendor fair and all of our other stakeholder events like the roadie run and those other events that the chamber doesn't produce, but we help promote. We just looked at it and thought, you know, in six weeks is just too close to this, this virus epidemic to really feel good about inviting 35,000 people to town. And I, I'm pretty sure that there aren't too many people here today that were here in world war two. There might be a few left. Uh, the last time this had to be canceled but as you mentioned in your release, this is quite an economic impact on Florence. It really is. And that's why we didn't want to cancel. You know, it's been a long, hard winter for our businesses. And then we were all hit with, you know, this virus and it affected our spring break numbers, which is normally a nice little bump to help get over, you know, the, the winter doldrums and, and bring some revenue into town. And it's, I think it's just really hard to look at to giving up all of that revenue. You know, you figure an average visitor, according to the Dean Runyon report, spends, if they're in a hotel, $259 a day. So you figure all these people are coming to town and you start adding that up by people that are camping and people that are staying with friends and people that are staying and lodging and they're shopping and eating and spending. That's a pretty significant impact economically. And we're going to be really sorry to miss that. And being the Chamber of Commerce, that's, you know, that's our main concern is keeping our businesses healthy so that they can continue to employ people. Right. And, and obviously, we can't predict when this thing's going to be over. So trying to find a date somewhere in, you know, in the near distant future is not really practical. But um, I imagine now, will you guys be focusing on watching how this goes and then maybe trying to trying to put other events together that might encourage people to come back when this uh, when this is over? I think that's exactly what we want to do. Once we can know, you know, there, this this is going to come down and it's going to de. I don't even know what the word I'm looking for. It's going to. It's going to disassemble in levels. You know, we're going to probably be able to open some stores and then we're going to be able to be around 10 people, but not 100 people. And I think that as we see these levels get to the point where we can actually conscientiously embrace bringing thousands of people to town, we'll know that ahead of time. We'll be able to see that. 
And I think that the chamber, you know, the board and we all want to do something that, you know, welcome back to the coast, you know, um, and do something. I don't know what that'll look like because the carnival is one of those things that, you know, you book out years in advance and parades and that type of thing are just difficult to put together on the on a short notice. So I don't know what the event would look like, but definitely, yes, we want to do something. Well, and on a, obviously, the the carnival has been probably impacted in other markets as well, not just not just for Rhododendron Festival. So everyone's probably feeling the crunch right now, and this is just another one of those things that that because of this COVID nineteen, it just impacted everybody. It really does. I spoke with Pat Davis this morning, and they've been coming to Florence, I think, for sixty three years. Yeah. So you know they've this is um. They're going to miss coming here. It's his birthday that weekend every year. So he always has his birthday when they're over here. And they feel like they're family. And we feel like they're family. And so, no, it's not just us. It's it's every other carnival that they do that this time of year. And they're also up in the air all the way into 4th of July. So we'll, we'll just – I think this is kind of uncharted territory. I know everybody's using that term, but we have to we have to kind of – stay our course, be flexible, be willing to change, think outside of the box, try something new, be patient, you know. And then when you don't know what to do, just start that whole group all over again. Now, even before this, uh, in the last several weeks, uh, especially since March 23rd, you know, this we've been affected by this. Businesses have been hurt by this. Are you hearing anything from business owners about you know, their ability to stick it out. I know this new CARE Act will provide businesses with the opportunity maybe to get finances to pay employees with a forgivable loan. Uh, have you heard anything from businesses on, on how they're looking to deal with the next few weeks? You know, I sent out an email to our, our chamber membership, just the members only, uh, last week. And I asked them, you know, how are you doing? What can I do to help? And I got a lot of response back. A lot of them are... are taking this time to refurbish their properties, clean up, do some remodeling. And that's the kind of thing that really makes my heart happy because they're making lemonade out of a lemon. And then I've heard from people who work in the restaurants that, you know, everyone knows I, I eat out for lunch every day. And so I know a lot of these servers and a lot of these people. And, and they reach out to me and say, Bettina, what am I going to do? I don't have a job. So, you know, there's there's everything in between. There's the businesses that are going to be looking for help to pay their rent, and there's businesses that have resources, and they're going to, you know, use this time to to ramp up a new game. I don't really know, you know, how we're going to survive this. I, I think it just depends on how long it goes on and how stable and deep the pockets are of each of the businesses. I was talking with one of the members uh, of, I, I guess, the chamber board. I don't want to say a name because he might not want me saying that. Um, but he mentioned that he was one person that might have been in favor of moving the date out, giving a little bit of, of hope. Did you have several members that were thinking along those lines uh, before it came I think down to that, a vote? I think that we all of the board would have liked to have been able to postpone the event. And... Uh, that would have been ideal, but how do you do that? Right, like the, you know, carna the carnival the, may not have been able to make a different date. Exactly, the carnival, you know, they're not standing by with nothing else to do. 
Um, how do you go out and recruit all of the parade people and the vendors people? How do you, you know, how do you, this event takes over six months in the planning. Right. So if, if we don't know when we're going to be open for business, are we going to plan this event for November yeah. and, and really have a roadie days in November? So I just, I think that, you know, emotionally, we all want to save it. We all want to, you know, maybe postpone it till July, but we don't know if we're going to be open in July. So are we going to use the chamber resources and ramp this all up again and then have to cancel it again? Right. That, yeah, that would so, make a lot of sense. Yeah. It gets difficult. And, you know, it's one of those, one of my, I used to have an attorney friend and he, one of his best answers that I, I love to rip off is, you know, it depends. You know, yeah, we'd like to do that, but it depends on this and it depends on that. And I think that, you know, all of us emotionally would like to postpone the event, but when it comes down to the logistics of really making it happen, it just wasn't possible. Well, Bettina, thank you for your time. Uh, you know, I know it's it's a hard time, and today was probably a hard day for for you and everybody involved uh, with this. I mean, you've got the Rhododendron Festival, you got Rhodey Court, you got everything that goes along with it. So, um, you know, just keep us posted and. And uh, let's get some, if you get a chance to get some new events worked up when this thing's over, let us help promote it. We'd be happy to do that. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, George. And thanks for helping us to share the heart of the chamber because this, um, this is hard for us because, you know, we, we have the heart of the community at heart and we're trying everything we can to stay safe and stay strong. Bettina, thank you so much. Thank you, George. And that about wraps up April. Looking for a much better May. We'll see what happens. You're listening to Our Town on Coast Radio.